0: This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 33. Welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I speak with Neil Thompson, the founder of teachthegeek.com about why public speaking is so important for engineers and how to become an awesome public speaker yourself. Hi everyone, Pat Sweet here. Welcome to the show, to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. Super, super jazzed to have you here with me. Uh, Summer is in full swing. As you've no doubt read, Canada is currently setting records for heat, which is not traditionally what we're known for. So go Canada uh, in advance of Canada Day. And in other great news here at the Sweet Family Household, uh, we recently became uh, the, the unexpected recipients of a pet bunny. <laughs> and there's, there's a very long story there, uh, but suffice it to say, uh, the bunny is lucky, it's cute, and therefore is allowed to stay. And My daughter also named it Pancake, which again, is so cute. I, I can't say no. I just can't say no to my daughter. Uh, so lots, lots of excitement here in Halifax, Nova Scotia right now. Wish you could be here, but uh, in the very least, I have you here on the podcast with me. And for that, I am super grateful. And I'm also grateful for the time I got to spend with my friend Neil Thompson, who's the guest for today's podcast. So without further ado, why don't we jump right into the main content for today? Public speaking is a skill that many engineers never actively develop. It's not emphasized in engineering school and in many cases isn't viewed as that important anyway. Neil Thompson had exactly that worldview. When he entered the working world, however, he was thrust into a position where he regularly had to make presentations to company executives. As you'll hear in the interview, Neil didn't start off as a great public speaker, meaning he had to improve his public speaking skills fast. Moved by that experience, Neil realized how many other engineers were in the same boat when it came to public speaking and launched TeachTheGeek.com, a business dedicated to helping engineers develop their public speaking skills. Today, Neil shares his advice for engineers everywhere on why public speaking is so important and how to improve as a public speaker. Here's my conversation with Neil. Mr. Neil Thompson, welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. I'm glad to be here, Pat. Thanks for having me. Hey, anytime, anytime, and, and this topic that we want to talk about, this idea of public speaking, I think is super, super important. Way more important than I would have given it credit for coming out of undergrad. I had no appreciation for just how much speaking I would do in front of folks, and I think a lot of engineers and and STEM folks are kind of in the same in the same boat. Maybe first of all, could you set the stage a little bit with respect to why? this is a skill that's so important for engineers and STEM folks?
1: Sure. Just like yourself, I didn't see the the importance of it coming out of undergrad either. And then when I went to graduate school, I still didn't see the importance of it, even though I had to present a thesis. Actually, my first job was as a research associate, and it didn't require any public speaking at all. So I thought that I was just going to get away with never having to speak in front of people for my entire career in engineering. But then that second job that I got, well, that, that put into that pretty quickly. Actually, it was uh, a few months into the job is when I realized that I would have to do it. I was a project lead. And what that means is the company was too cheap to hire project managers. And so they made the product development engineers take on that responsibility, one of which was presenting in front of senior management project progress. And those first few, those first few presentations that I did were absolutely horrendous. I, I didn't know it was possible to sweat from the orifices that were in my body. Like that. <laughs> it was, it was gross. I, I, the dry cleaning bills were ridiculous. I mean, sweat stains, like, like pit stains everywhere, man. It was, it was, I had to change deodorants, everything. It was, it was ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really bad. And I noticed when I really reflected on, on why I was doing so poorly, firstly, it was, it was poor preparation, but then it was also, I wasn't taking into account what the people wanted to hear. And so I was getting up in front of them and I was just, saying whatever i, I wanted to say the time no preparation anything and then trying to get out of there as quickly as possible and i also noticed that a lot of times i was getting questions that i thought i'd answer during the presentation but because i didn't put it in such a way that people could understand i was getting these questions so to, to really to answer your question on, on the importance of it it's, it's it's be able to communicate your ideas as an engineer i mean you could have the best ideas in the world, but if you're not able to communicate them, especially to decision makers, those ideas are just going to stay in your head. And not only that, but and in, in, as an engineer, if you want to move up in a company, get the pay raises and promotions you want, you have to be able to communicate effectively again, especially to those decision makers, because you don't want to be that engineer that's stewing in his cubicle because another engineer was better at communicating than you and, and then got those those pay raises and promotions that you wanted.
0: See, I think that's it, it reminds me of some of the folks that I've seen, particularly as a junior engineer, kind of climb the ranks. And and I thought to myself, you know, that that's not the smartest guy in the room. He got the promotion. But 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 why? Clearly, the, these other two fellows are, are are much better engineers and, and she's brilliant. And and, and in retrospect, I, it occurs to me now that maybe they weren't the the best engineers in the room, quote unquote, you know, technically, uh, but certainly they were among the most well-rounded, and certainly they were competent. and And public speaking is something that, again, when I look back, I think, oh yeah, like these were all really, really good, uh, uh, really good people at this. W- where, where does this this fear come from? This fear of public speaking. Uh, it, if, if memory serves, this is in the general population. One of these things that people are are most terrified of, right, right up there with heights and spiders, right? It's, it 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 elicits this terrible visceral reaction. What? Why is that?
1: I think the number one reason is fear of sounding and looking stupid in front of other people. You know, you want to present yourself in in the best light possible. And if you're in a in a situation where you have to talk in front of people, and like as I mentioned when I first was giving presentations, you're unprepared. You give, you, you put yourself in a position where you might look foolish in talking, you know, talking, for, especially in front of decision-makers. I mean, when I was doing it, I was talking in front of senior management. We're talking to CEO, VP of, of R and D, VP of marketing, everybody with a corner office. So you really want to do a good job of, of looking good in front of these people, especially if you want to get those pay raises and those promotions and just have a good name within the company. So, I mean, to me, the, the fear really comes from not looking your best in front of, of people when it matters.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Especially if the stakes are high. Absolutely. So you already mentioned one of the issues that, that you see quite a bit, and that was the lack of preparation. What what are some of the more, uh, some of the other common problems that you see when people come to work with you uh, on their public speaking skills? And, and, and what do you, what do you do about these issues? So, as,
1: as engineers or just people in, in the STEM fields, we have a lot of technical expertise and we want to impart that to the people we're speaking to. Oftentimes, something that we don't take into account is the, the level of, of expertise of the people in the audience. So, you're not going to, it's not a good idea to use all the technical jargon that you would use with your fellow engineers or you know, fellow STEM professionals when you're talking to people who are outside of that field of expertise. They're just going to, either they're going to, Ask you questions that you thought you would answer during the presentation, or they're just not going to listen at all and not ask you anything. So you essentially wasted your time and theirs. So that's one of the bigger things that I see. And then another issue I find, and this just as a pet peeve of mine, is is timing. So I've been to a number of conferences. I've been, you know, obviously, you know, working as an engineer, you go through a lot, of, go to a lot of meetings. And I mentioned I used to have to give presentations in front of management. Oftentimes there'd be a time like you're you you're supposed to present between this time and that time. And if you don't prepare, oftentimes you might be way under or you might go over. But if you practice beforehand, you know, essentially what you what you need to present in the time you need to present it. And the more you practice it, the more you're able to stick within that time.
0: So that this all makes perfect sense is practice, practice, practice. Right. There's there's no real no real magic to it, is there?
1: No, unfortunately not. Practice makes progress.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um Circling back to this idea of, of fear and, and, and worrying about kind of, well, there's that vulnerability aspect to it. What would you recommend to someone who who really does get really quite anxious in, in advance of, of giving a presentation? Is there something that, that you might recommend to help calm the nerves and improve performance?
1: Absolutely. So the one, something that I use and has worked really well for me is some sort of a physical movement. So it could just be knee bends. It could be it's walking around the room before you present. Just something to do to dissipate that nervous energy. And then another thing that I'm, I'm really big on is visualization. I mean, if you tell yourself that you're a poor public speaker, you will be. But if you visualize yourself doing well, you're more likely to do so. And then one other thing I want to mention is breathing. You don't, you don't want to use shallow breathing before you go on there. You may very well pass out. You want to breathe deep from your diaphragm to just kind of calm your nerves and you know slow your heart rate down so when you get up there, you're you less
0: nervous. So I've never seen a great speech where the speaker passed out. That's a, yeah, <laughs> that's a good tip.
1: Not much speaking going on after that.
0: <laughs> so let, let's say you 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 get yourself kind of mentally ready. You you've calmed the nerves. What are the elements of a great presentation? You're, you're standing up there. What, what does a really good talk or a really good presentation look like? Are there, are there common elements or, or themes or, or the kinds of things that you, you see in like a really good TED talk, for example, and say, yes, like they nailed it?
1: Oh, sure. Like, one of the things that I think is really important, and maybe people don't really think about this when it comes to more technical presentations, is being able to tell a story. You know, when you were a child, you probably liked it when your mom or your dad read you a bedtime story, but for some reason we get away from that as we get older. And we also think that stories aren't all that appropriate for technical presentations, but adults like like stories too. And, and so do technical professionals. And so do the people that listen to technical professionals. If you're able to couch your your data or your expertise in the form of a story, it's gonna be more likely that people pay attention. And so, so for any presentation that I listen to, and I, I noticed that other people appreciate as well it's the the people that, that do the best are the ones that are able to, to put their data in such a way that they use they are able to tell a story with it
0: so do, uh, do you mean uh, tell a story as the as this the way of presenting the information or or using stories to help illustrate the ideas or, or maybe
1: it's both oh it's certainly both okay, I mean okay. when i when I was a uh, when I was giving those presentations in front of senior management, it wasn't the I didn't get the best results from just slapping a bunch of graphs and and charts together and and reading off the off the slides and then getting out of there. It was really diving into what the the significance of these charts and these and these and these graphs are, and being able to relate the relate to a story in the sense that well, we started off at this point and now we're at this point, especially when it comes to project progress. When people see, well, they see that progress, they're more likely to, 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 to listen and to be engaged.
0: So I think, I think what you're talking about here with stories is super important because I, I, I'm, I'm thinking in my own mind of really good speakers that I know and, and they're all excellent storytellers. So for someone who maybe doesn't quite know how to frame you know uh, like technical metrics for example in the form of a story is there is there is there a framework or something you might you might offer to someone who wants to adopt this
1: sure well when it comes to storytelling it's 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 important to make sure that it's easy to follow and clear and any great story has a clear beginning middle and end so being able to to focus on what that beginning middle and end are is is really beneficial in making sure that the story is is clear and then and it's easy to follow, especially for people who are outside of your field of expertise. You may very well be able to get away with this, the the technical jargon and the dry data for people in your field because they, they know it anyway. But especially when you're talking to people outside your field, it's so important to be able to present it in a clear manner.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit um, and take and and take a look at meetings, because I think uh, Certainly, presentations and, and and talks and that kind of thing. That that's probably not quite as common for the majority of engineers. I, I think most leaders would be expected to to present uh, frequently, but almost all engineers end up in meetings. Do you see value in working on your public speaking skills in in that form as well?
1: Oh, no question. I mean, that's the if, to be very honest, that's the first place where you could where you could work on them is in those meetings especially when it's a more of a, a low risk type of environment, as opposed to what I was doing presenting in front of senior management, it's a great place to really practice as the you know, what, what works well in front of these people may very well work in front of the audience the you're, that you're going to be speaking to when the stakes are a bit higher. So it's a, it's a perfect practice ground, these, uh, these group meetings.
0: Are there, are there any common issues that you see or, or things that people really flub, like small, small fixes <laughs> that would make uh, an enormous difference?
1: So when I was, when I worked as an engineer, we have these meetings and people would oftentimes go off on these tangents. I mean, we would have the, we would have an agenda of what the meeting was supposed to be, but perhaps if people came in unprepared, they would go off and just talk about things that had nothing to do with the meeting. So preparation is really important when it comes to these type of meetings. And not only that, making sure that you stick within the time. I know I mentioned time before, but it's so important, especially when you're working in the STEM fields. you're busy. And taking the time from these meetings, you want to make sure that the meeting is, the use of the time is as as useful as possible. So you want to make sure, firstly, that it, that you're prepared, and by being prepared, you're you're able to speak in as succinct a manner to make sure that you stay within time.
0: So you've mentioned this idea of preparation several times now, um, and it's made me curious about your own approach to preparing for a talk. So let's let's get in the head of Neil Thompson here for a minute, if. You're about to give uh, a talk or a speech. Um, what's your What's your approach? How do you go about preparing for something like that?
1: Well, I know that there needs to be a clear beginning, middle, and end so that people are easy can easily follow the whatever I'm I'm presenting. But I I typically start with the end because I want to make sure that whatever I'm communicating at the end is likely going to be what people remember. I mean, we we don't have the best memories. At least I, I certainly don't. So if you have a, a clear call to action for whatever you're presenting, get that, make that clear first and get that clear in your mind first. And once you have that, you can work backwards on what the middle and the, the beginning of your presentation could be to logically lead to that call, call to action.
0: So begin uh, begin with the end in mind. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what about what about are, are you the kind of guy who actually spends time in front of the mirror or, or grabs a friend and, and kind of g- gives them a, a draft version of the talk to, to get feedback? Is that, is that the kind of thing you'd recommend to others?
1: Certainly, especially if, if you're starting out and you want to see from somebody else how the, your presentation may hit with the, the audience once you finally present it in front of people because I've been doing presentations for some time now, I don't typically present in front of, or practice in front of people. I just practice it within my mind. Actually, I do say it out loud, but I just want to make sure that I'm within the time limit and that I'm hitting the points where I want to hit them. So I'll have a a bunch of, or various points that I want to hit at at various points within the presentation, and I practice until I'm able to hit them seamlessly.
0: Makes a lot of sense. That's perfect. If someone felt like they didn't have a lot of opportunity to, to practice their public speaking at work. What other things could they do? Where could they go to, to kind of sharpen their, sharpen their craft a little bit so that they could then refine those skills and bring them into the workplace?
1: I was a member of Toastmasters for a number of years. For your, your listeners who don't know, that don't know what Toastmasters is, it's an international organization whose goal is essentially to help people with their public speaking. They have chapters all over the world and depending on where I was living at the time, I would join a chapter, but it's an excellent forum to practice your public speaking. You get feedback from the other members as to what you liked and or what they liked and what, what they thought you could improve on, and another thing about, well, another thing about feedback is when you get it, I I highly suggest you listen to all feedback you get, but you don't necessarily have to implement all the feedback that you're given, because at least when I was a member of Toastmasters and I find this was likely the, 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 the case for others. You may very well get contradictory feedback. One, so someone might say, you need to improve your, con- your eye contact. Another person might say, I really liked your eye contact. So now you got to figure out which, which one to, to listen to. And you got to run it through your own filter. If you if you think that the person that said you need to improve was right, then, then do so. But, and if not, then, then don't.
0: Yeah, that, that's an important lesson learned uh, that that applies outside of speaking as well. Is is getting getting your work peer reviewed one way or the other is is valuable, but but you still you still kind of hold the bag with respect to what to incorporate and how. So I, I really I really do appreciate that. Looking back on on the folks that that you've helped um, and the, the the kinds of things that that you see in public speakers, what. What one bad habit, what one thing would you eliminate? Like if, if I gave Neil Thompson a magic wand and you could just eliminate this one thing from speeches and talks, what would it be? What drives you nuts?
1: Well, I think I mentioned it already. It's, it's timing. And I, it really is a, a pet peeve of mine, especially when I used to go to conferences. You know, you, you'd go to the conference and you know there's an agenda. They give you an agenda book. You'd look in the agenda book and you see, OK, this person's supposed to speak from 10 to 10, 15. So that's 15 minutes. So why the hell is this person speaking for 20? You know, (laughs) they often didn't practice their presentation beforehand. And it shows because they went five minutes over time. And what that does is it then throws the whole agenda off. So if you wanted to stay for that person's entire presentation, you're now five minutes behind from attending the next presentation perhaps you wanted to attend. So as I said, practice your, your presentation beforehand so that you're within the allotted time.
0: So, so is that kind of a, a professional gripe of yours, or does it go does it go deeper than that?
1: Oh man, it goes. It, it's it's professional. It's personal. It's everything. So I have a I have a friend, and we actually I guess we disagree on this. So when it comes to my presentations, I always practice beforehand to make sure that I'm within time. So let's just say I have 15 minutes to present. I will practice to the point where I'm finishing within 13 to 14 minutes, because oftentimes when you get up there to actually present. You might ad-lib some things so you have at least you know a one or two minute buffer to work with so to make sure that you're within the 15 minutes. But my friend, he very rarely practices his speeches. He just gets up there and wings it. And at least to me, it shows. I mean, sometimes it's it's all over the place. It's kind of hard to follow because, you know, he didn't practice beforehand. So, uh, I mean, I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. Just that, that whole practicing to make sure within time. To, and not only that, but when you practice to make sure within time, you're able to to figure out the best way to present, as opposed to when you don't practice and you go up there and wing it, it just comes out as it comes out. And it may not come out in the best way, or at least the most effective or efficient way.
0: Yeah, I think the, the only person I've ever heard who who wings it regularly and can get away with it is Brene Brown, who's a brilliant speaker, but that that would be the exception as opposed to the rule. I was shocked to learn that for the most part... She doesn't really, she knows what she wants to say, and she's a world class expert in, in leadership. She, she knows her material inside and out. Most of us are not Brene Brown. So I <laughs> think that's, that's really good advice. You mentioned earlier the difficulty that people have um, with, with kind of drifting off topic, particularly when they're not prepared. And, and I think a lot, of, um, a lot of us, a lot of engineers, feel like that there's a lot of detail that we need to communicate in order to get the point across. Um, so if you find you're practicing a talk, you're practicing what you want to present and and you're having a really hard time keeping things under the time limit, despite your best efforts, are there any particular, uh, suggestions that you would make with respect to where to look for, for the, the extraneous stuff to cut out? How do you, how do you analyze your own message for that kind of thing?
1: Well, sometimes you don't have to do that. You can actually go to, to others. So, Essentially, when you're doing any kind of presentation, the, the goal is to impart to the people that you're speaking to what they need to know. So it's not really about you as of what you want to impart. It's about what they want to get from you. So when I was an engineer having to present in front of these senior management types, because they're busy, it was very difficult to get time with them to, to, let the, to ask them, what do you want to hear in this presentation when it came to the project progress updates? So I'd go to their administrative assistants. Because they're their right-hand man or woman, they know them really well. So I would ask them, what kind of information should I include in this presentation to make sure that they are engaged and and listen to what I have to say? And they tell me. So it it really came down to me reaching out to not necessarily the the person that would be in the audience, but the person who knows them the best at the company. And they can inform me as to what would be the the best things to, uh, to include in the presentation.
0: That, that's a great idea. W- were you ever surprised by what you learned in an effort like that? Like you you thought you were gonna have to go down one path, but holy cow, they're not interested in this. They're interested in that.
1: No. CFOs <laughs> want to know about money. CDOs <laughs> want to know about money and strategy, how long <laughs> is it gonna take? You know, VP wants to know about the the, the resources or uh, how many how much people they're gonna be needed for the uh, for whatever tasks they need to get done. it, it actually was kind of uh, typical as to w- based on what their their expertise in the company is, the the information they wanted to know.
0: Yeah, but then I suppose you're operating with certainty. You you don't worry about needing to to pull in other stuff, so that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that that has come up uh, quite a bit during our talk here is is the the value of practice. Um, I know that that public speaking is the kind of thing that that frankly, it to me, it's a lot like. Uh, a lot of other skills, like writing, for example, you can get to a point where you're you're comfortable or, or even very good, but you can spend a lifetime per- perfecting the craft. And to that end, I'm aware of a community that you are launching as part of your work with with Teach the Geek uh, for public speaking. Um, could you could you tell us a little bit about that community and who it's for? Sure.
1: So. Teach the Geek started based on my own struggles in public speaking. I mentioned that I had to give presentations in front of management. I wasn't all that good at it at first. I noticed a lot of the other engineers weren't all that much better at it than I was, but I got a lot better at it over time because I didn't want to look like a fool every time I had to present in front of senior management. And so I did that. And then based on what I learned in getting better, more effective at public speaking, I developed an online course called Teach the Geek to Speak. And so I sold that course mainly to engineers and scientists for a while. But then I realized that just having a course wasn't enough. It would be really, it would be more helpful for there to be ongoing support because, as you mentioned, public speaking, along with other things, isn't just something you're, you're always good at. It's, it's always something, it's something that you can get better at you know, as, as time goes on. So what I've done and what I'm building currently is the Teach the Geek to Speak Society. So essentially, it's a, it's a membership which would include the course, of course, on well, the course, of course, and then it also <laughs> <laughs> would have a, a, a community aspect where people can meet or engineers and scientists, typically those in the STEM fields, can meet like-minded people, get their questions answered. And there'd also be monthly calls where we can go over issues that people are having with their public speaking. And I'm really excited about, you know, putting it together and launching it.
0: Well, that that's really, really exciting. So I'll, I'll be... Uh certain to put a, a link in the show notes to that so uh, people can visit and uh, and learn more about that. Um, listen, Neil, this, this has been an absolute blast. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time today. Beyond the Teach the Geek to Speak Society, uh, where can people go to learn more about you and your work?
1: Well, obviously, there's, there's teachthegeek.com, but then there's also my YouTube channel and podcast. So I, I host a, a YouTube channel where I speak with those in the STEM fields about public speaking. It's really interesting because when I first started it, it was just to essentially pick the brains of other engineers and scientists who do public speaking and do it well as to what works for them. Do they have a process for putting their speeches together? Do they ever get nervous before speeches? And what do they do to calm their nerves? Those type of questions. But uh, something else that has really come from those interviews is just learning about people's journeys just in their careers. We get these degrees in engineering or science and we think perhaps, you know, we're going to stay in these fields forever. But it's really interesting to learn what people do with those degrees. They might start off in one thing and then transition into something completely different. So it's always interesting to hear those stories. And you can learn more about or you can visit the, the YouTube channel and, and listen to these interviews at youtube.teachthegeek.com.
0: Awesome. That's fantastic. And and uh, as someone who subscribes to the channel, it's great stuff. Highly recommended, And I'll be including links to those in the show notes as well. Again, Neil Thompson, thank you very, very much. Uh, This was an absolute blast. We'll have to do it again. Excellent. Thanks for having me again, Pat. Thank you once again, Neil, for that conversation. As always, just uh, pure gold from Neil Thompson. There were a few things that stood out to me during our chat and, and when I went to go listen to this again afterwards for editing. And first and foremost was the importance of preparation. This is something that Neil hit on a number of times during our conversation, is the value in understanding what your message is and how you're going to frame it and being really intentional about your delivery. Often just thinking ahead about what you want to say and how you want to say it Uh, can do wonders. You don't have to be the world's best speaker or, or particularly slick or clever or anything. Just understanding what it is you want to say and how you want to say it will help immensely. One of the other things that he talked about was how important it is to take into account what people want to hear and what their expertise is. So in other words, you need to understand your audience don't use jargon. Remember that the talk is for your audience. It's not for your own sake. And again, if we link this back to the previous point, the importance of preparation, it's much, much easier to take your audience into account if you prepare ahead of time. Finally, in terms of how you actually deliver your talk or your speech or whatever it is that you're trying to communicate, maybe it's just a meeting, the use of story is incredibly powerful. And I've heard this uh, a number of different ways in a number of different forums, the value of story. In in fact, I read a really good book that kind of argued that every message should be formulated a bit like a movie. People love movies. They'll sit through hour and a half, two-hour, three-hour movies because they are gripped by story. Imagine yourself sitting through a two-hour meeting, any meeting. It's very difficult to imagine that. And One of the things that that you can use in order to draw people in is story. Again, you don't have to be a brilliant storyteller. You don't have to be hilarious. The use of stories to to illustrate your points and ideas is very, very engaging. So don't underestimate that. At the end of the interview, Neil and I talked a little bit about his new, his new community called the Teach the Geek to Speak Society, which is something I'm very, very excited about on, on Neil's behalf. I think this is a, an incredible initiative that he's got. I think there's a real need. This is a, a real sore point for a lot of engineers in a lot of different disciplines that really holds them back. So that's the Teach the Geek to Speak Society. If you're interested, all you have to do is go to engineeringandleadership.com slash community. That's engineeringandleadership.com slash community, and that'll take you right to the page where you can learn all about the society, what it's about, uh, and, and how to sign up. So one more time, engineeringandleadership.com slash community, And of course, you can find links to all the show notes, resources, everything we mentioned at the show notes, com slash episode 33. Finally, just before we move into the mailbag, I wanted to mention one other thing, and that is that Neil and I are going to be hosting a webinar that's going to be on July 6th, 2021, if you happen to be listening to this in the far future. So that's on July 6th. The webinar is called Public Speaking Essentials for STEM Professionals. And this is for people who, you know, the thought of giving a presentation makes makes your palms sweaty. You avoid making eye contact. You spend hours of prep time, and, and it still doesn't come off. This is for you. So it's a webinar that he and I are going to co-host to help give you easy to implement tips to prepare and deliver a presentation that people will actually listen to. So again, free webinar for STEM professionals to help develop public speaking essentials. Again, that's July 6th. If you're interested in signing up, just go to engineeringandleadership.com slash public speaking. And again, that link will be in the show notes if you forget. But again, that's engineeringandleadership.com slash public speaking. Next up, we've got the engineering and leadership mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read everything you send me, and I promise to read my favorites right here on the podcast. I got a really interesting email from Diego Cordairo. Diego, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And he sent me an email last week with some feedback on the show and and to share some of the challenges that he's facing at work. And I'll read an excerpt from that email here. Uh, Tiago says, I lead an engineering team in an aircraft maintenance facility in Lisbon, Portugal, which supports production teams in the hangars and an airline operational environment. We also support several continued airworthiness tasks. It is very interesting, although chaotic work, as we get support requests across the organization, some of which are urgent and are also involved in several cross domain projects. As such, it is quite difficult to plan our week or even our day as we move across tasks constantly and get interrupted to support more urgent matters. Diego, I feel you. I think I think many of us do. He goes on to say, One of the management principles is that we need to measure in order to identify bottlenecks and opportunities to effectively make positive changes. My question is, in such a hectic and unpredictable environment, how can we measure what the team is doing in a way that is not intrusive or counterproductive? What would you say are the best approaches that can rip the best benefits that can motivate people to give meaningful feedback that is required for the individual and team to use or distribute their time more effectively? Wow, Diego, this is this this is the kind of question that that gets me really really excited because I, I think there's a lot of insight here, and beyond that, I think a lot of people suffer from some of the same uh, same heartache, same issues. Because many of us in many different industries work on complex, safety-critical systems in environments that are characterized more by change than anything else, it is very, very difficult to plan. It's very, very difficult to respond to incoming tasks. Um, there's there's an awful lot of uncertainty, an awful lot of ambiguity. So, Tigo, first of all, what I would say is it, you're not alone in this. This is an industry wide challenge, even, even a challenge across the profession, frankly, uh, across various industries. Um, a couple things that I recommend you dig into. Uh, now, th- this obviously is not a complete solution, but should be some food for thought. Uh, that's my, my hope, anyway. The first is the use of agile. Now, agile is a management methodology that has been in the software world for a very long time. And it's designed specifically to deal with situations where uh, there, there, there's ambiguity, there's complexity. Uh, it's not always clear what done looks like. Uh, so Agile is a system that you can use as an alternative to trying to plan out every last little thing because you know right now, you don't know what, <laughs> what the work is going to look like. Even by the end of the day, let alone next week. So trying to plan that out ad nauseum doesn't doesn't make sense. One recommendation that uh, I, I would make there is uh, is reading a book from Jeff Sutherland, uh, who who was one of the one of the co-authors on the Agile Manifesto, uh, called Scrum: The Art of Getting Twice as Much Done in Half the Time. Uh, really, really good read. That was my introduction to Agile, and honestly, there's enough there that you can use. To, to get up and running. Now, there are a number of different agile methodologies, Scrum being one of them. Uh, I recommend that, A, because I'm familiar with it, B, it's quite popular, C, I've seen it used outside of software quite effectively. Uh, so that's something that uh, that I think you'd want to check out. The next thing that I wanted to mention is is this idea of, of systems and processes and really looking at your work, which at first blush sounds like you could be faced with anything. But in reality, you already know what systems you're going to work on, what kinds of tasks might come your way. You understand the difference between a complex version of a particular task and a simple version of a particular task. And the more you analyze the work, the more you can start to see patterns and, and drivers and repetition. And the more you can systematize. And the more you can you can document the recurring processes and steps and all the rest, the better you can measure it, the better you can manage it, the better you can can plan for it as it comes in your door. There's a book I'm reading right now uh, called Principles from Ray Dalio, who who's a, a world famous hedge fund manager. It's a really fascinating read, and it's all about his work principles. It's all about how he has categorized the world around him to help him understand this really complex world of of the economy and financial management. And one of the terms of phrase he uses is, oh, another one of these. And what he means is when situations come at him, there's, there's almost certainly been something in his 40, 50 year career that he is reminded of. And he probably has some principle, some idea of how to handle situations like that. It won't be the exact same situation he faced in the past, but he's meticulous about documenting the situations he's faced and documenting what he did, whether it worked, whether it didn't. Now, that's not a quick fix, but over time, if you can get into the discipline of really capturing your thoughts and capturing the situations you face, you will start to see patterns emerge. And that can, be, that can be very, very powerful. The third thing that I wanted to mention is the importance of triaging incoming requests and having some sort of system in place to, to gather and understand incoming requests. One of the problems that I see, both my own professional practice and, and I know others face this as well, is there's no clear channel, there's no clear path for incoming work, particularly environments in environments like yours. Uh, you don't know who a task might come from. You don't know how it's going to be packaged. You don't know how priorities are going to be communicated. So by taking control of that, by taking control of how inputs land within your team, you can start to identify issues right away, like establishing a definition of done, for example. That's something you could do the moment a task comes into you. But if you're not looking for it, you don't have a system in place to check for that. It could be very easy to lose sight of what it is you're actually trying to accomplish. So again, having some sort of triaging system can help a lot with that to make sure you keep keep within scope and also help you understand priorities. It's understandable that it can be overwhelming to, to deal with new tasks and, and it could feel like having some sort of system in place for taking it in could slow things down. But It's incredibly important because it'll help you understand the priorities of your work, especially in relation to all the other work that you have going on. It sounds like in your environment, you have to reprioritize quite frequently. So understanding the nature of each task that comes in is incredibly important. It's going to facilitate you making smart decisions as the situation changes. So again, Diego... Awesome question. Really, really cool. I love getting questions like this. This really, it forces you to think and and engage with with ideas. I just love that. So again, if anyone else out there has questions or ideas, do leave a comment on the show notes uh, or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Either way, I, I would absolutely love to hear from you. That, my friends, is all the time we have for the show today. I will be back next week with another episode with psychologist Dr. Robin Rosenberg on the emergence of the hybrid workplace and how to make it work for everybody. If you enjoyed the show, please leave an honest review and let me know what you thought was most interesting from today's episode. That'll help me make the show better and it helps others find the show as well. For more information and links to the resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes at engineeringandleadership.com episode 33. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more... Go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com.